Morning, everybody. How much fun is this? I think there's more people in here than there are kids that go to this school. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Um, Well, let's jump right in. We got a lot to do today uh, to cover. You know, there's only, feel like we just scratch the surface every time Easter comes around from all of the depth that is possible to unpack. So we're just going to do just a little bit here. Uh, in the next few minutes. So let's read this famous passage together out of Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might uh, go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll this stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Fair question. But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed. He said, you were looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. My granddad died a few years ago, and this past year we went back to the gravesite. Right? Maybe many of you have done that. Uh, before for loved ones. And so it was a beautiful sunny day. We were kind of coming. He was buried on this hilltop uh, in a cemetery, and we, you, you can kind of drive up almost right next to where his site was. And as we crested the hill, we could see everything was exactly as it should be. The grass was perfectly manicured. The, the fake flowers were sitting there and looked exactly the same as the day they had been left. The gravestone was sitting perfectly atop where it, is, where it should be. That's what these women are thinking is happening. The, these women who are walking along, expecting one thing, and then getting something completely different. Because two days ago, they had just watched their friend, even their Lord, die in an excruciating way as he suffocated and bled out on a torture device. This wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't the way this was supposed to go down. He he was supposed to be the Messiah King who was going to raise a scepter and rule forever. But I guess it wasn't true. And so these two women are doing, you know, at least he was an honorable man. And so we should go honor him as the honorable man that he was. And so they're, they're having this conversation, you know, I, that stone, we watched that stone go on that thing. And now we're the two little old us, we're going to have to push that big old thing. I don't know how we're going to do that. Fair question. Natural question to ask in the face of what they expect. And then they crest maybe a similar hill. It may be a similar sunny day. And what? That stone used to be there, and now it's over there. What is happening? Oh, look, there's a nice man inside. Maybe he can tell us what's going on. Wait a minute, that's not any nice man. That's an angel. 
We got angels. We got stones being moved from the inside out. We got people that uh, are raised from the dead. What in the world is going on? This is not anything like any of us would expect if we were going to visit a loved one at their graveside. And yet, that's the story that's in front of us today. That is what we are celebrating. And they freak. Alarm, trembling, astonishment, fear, wonder. Maybe a word to kind of encapsulate all that. What is going on? Their minds are blown, as we would be too. Here's the question for all of us today, though. How often are we astonished, tremble, fearful in the face of something that you can't quite comprehend? If the resurrection really happened, then there should be a sense in and of ourselves of fear and trembling and amazement and astonishment. But listen, if you're anything like me, you're just trying to get from one side of this day to the other side without burning whatever you got in the oven right now. How do we shake ourselves free? Maybe even a better way to put that. How does the Lord shake us free using every part of this service and his word today to call us into this great story? Because if the God of the Bible is behind the curtain torn in two from top to bottom, then the life of a Christian should be one of trembling and fear and amazement and wonder because this world is not all that there is. What we can see, touch, taste, and smell is not all there is. So wherever you are today in your faith journey, the question before us that the resurrection begs is, is this all there is? Let's think about that for just a few minutes. The disciples were, you know, Jesus' closest followers. Even the women who were way smarter and way more intuitive, they didn't get it. Jesus said time after time after time, he used metaphor, he used simile, he used the, the very direct words of, I will die and then I will rise again after three days. And yet it was just like, whoo, 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 every time. Jesus had told them time after time after time, and yet they were so stuck in their natural vision, in their natural understanding of the world, they couldn't see it. Their, their wonder muscle had atrophied. There was a time when it hadn't, when they were following Jesus, and this amazing thing is he's healing people, and there's amazing things, and more and more people are following him. Throngs and throngs of people are following after him. That was really exciting. But all that was over now, at least so they thought. Does Easter fill you with that sense of wonder and amazement? Or is it just a holiday to eat too much expensive ham and those <laughs> gross little peeps? <sighs> okay, uh, let me try to capture it with a story. Uh, there, in World War II, there was a, a Japanese soldier named Hiro Anoda. And this soldier was an intelligence of, officer who was trained in guerrilla warfare. And so he gets planted in, on Lubong Island in the Philippines, and his goal is twofold. One, don't surrender. Two, don't die. Yes, sir. And so he goes on to this jungle. Uh, he attacks this guerrilla warfare-like um, attack. He, he goes under surveillance for the various things that they're doing on that island at that time. And then the war ends. But... He didn't get the memo. They tried to send him the memo, 
They tried to send it by airplane, dropping leaflets. Everyone in the jungle, come out, it's over, come out, it's over. They send a search party to go find him. He thinks that it's the enemy, and so he hides away. 29 years later, he's still holding his post. He had lived in a false reality for 29 years. It was only when his commanding officer, former commanding officer, who was very much retired, came back and said, son, it's okay. Let down your guard. The war is over. The resurrection for each one of us is a call from our commanding officer. Lay down your guard. The war is over. Come out. This, this reality that you've been living in, this war-torn world that we all experience, both the war-torn selves that we are and the war-torn world that we live in is not all that there is. There is a bigger and greater reality. There is a wonder that surpasses what we can see, touch, taste, and smell. The resurrection calls us to wake up. It calls us to wake up to say, this world, yes, there is a sense in each one of us that this world should be better than it is. Wake up, that is true. This world has been made by a loving and powerful God who has also made you and I. But almost immediately after coming into that world, sin has broken it. And now we see the effects all around us and we bring our own selves into that brokenness and contribute to that brokenness in the world today. It's a call to wake up. It's a call to wake up. That brokenness inside of inside of us is so bad that if we want a renewed world, then we should also be the ones who should be taken out of it. Wake up. It is also a call to wake up that there is a greater purpose that Jesus has come for, that he has not just come to teach some cool stuff and then die like any other prophet. He has come to live and to die and to rise again, absorbing. You know what Good Friday is about? It's about taking the evil out of you and absorbing it onto himself. He has eradicated evil so that you and I don't have to be eradicated. Wake up. And finally, it's a call to wake up that this world as it stands is not all there is. You and I as we are is not all there is. All of us who have trust in Jesus, who are following him, who has, he has come into our lives and woken us up to this reality, we are being and will be made completely new. And there is a day coming when this whole world and those of us in Christ included will all be new. Wake up. That's the reality that Easter teaches C.S. Lewis puts it all together in ways that only he can do like this. It is a profound mistake to imagine that Christianity ever intended to dissipate the bewilderment and even the terror, the sense of our own nothingness, which comes upon us when we think about the nature, the real nature of things. It comes to intensify them. Without such sensation, there is no religion. What if this story is true? What would it do for your life? What would it do for your perspective? What would it do for your wonder? 
before there was light Walked across the pages of time He who made every living thing Behold Him He who heard humanity's cry Left His throne to wake as a child He became like the least of
So the invitation is uh, to wake up. Wake up to the reality uh, of the resurrection of Jesus, the, the truth that it is, because uh, when we wake up to that, the implications of the resurrection for us are vast. Uh, it's why you hear, and if you come back, you'll continue to hear this, that the gospel of change, gospel changes everything, that the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus changes everything about our lives. There's no aspect of our lives that is not impacted or implicated because of the resurrection. And because he's alive, that changes our lives right now. A lot of times we just think of the resurrection in terms of the future implications of that, but there's actually present implications. And one of the ways that scripture says that the resurrection changes our lives right now is that there is a new power that we have at work in us if you're a Christian. Paul talks about this in almost every one of his letters. He talks about this new power that's at work in us, this resurrection power that we actually now have access to as a result of being new creations in Christ. Because of our new identity in him, we have new resources and new spiritual power. And he gives us that power because he knows you need that power to live a life in that new identity that I've given you as new creations. So I want to talk just for a second about how do we experience that? Like, are we just celebrating something that's going to happen when we die? Or is there something to celebrate right now? Is there power available to you right now? Do you need power in your life right now? This is where we're all nodding, right? Yes. We need it. So how do we experience it? Well, Paul prays for the Ephesians church that they would know this power. This is a prayer, and I've been praying this for myself this week, I've been praying it for our people this week, for the people who are visiting here, who are maybe coming to church for the first time in a long time and saying, I, I need a fresh experience of something bigger than me. This is what Paul prays, because he knows that you can't believe in the resurrection unless he does something for you, unless God does something for you. This is not something we just kind of get to in our heads. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that we believe this. This is what Paul prays in Ephesians 1, 1 or 17 to 21. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. What's Paul praying this for? He's talking about the resurrection, right? He's talking about power, right? Paul says here, he says, I keep asking. <laughs> I'm going to ask and I'm going to ask and I'm going to keep asking. It's like your kids are just like tugging on your leg. I'm going to keep asking. I'm praying that, that the glorious Father may do something for you. So what's he acknowledging right out the gate? If I'm going to experience power in my life, if God is going to move in my life, God's got to do something, not me. He's got to be the one who acts. The glorious Father... That word glorious is synonymous for the word power in Scripture. The powerful Father has got to do something. 
And what is he asking? May he give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. When something's capitalized in scripture, you should pay attention to it. It's not just some general spirit that he's talking about. He's talking about the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. I keep asking, give them that. Why? Why do you need the spirit? You need wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because without the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, your eyes are blind. Our eyes are blind. Scripture says we are literally dead in our trespasses. I can't believe this stuff unless he does something. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you may know. When we hear the word know, we think in terms, especially the kids in this room, they're thinking of what do I need to know to pass this test, right? I gotta have these facts, right? I've gotta have these, this, this knowledge. But the word know in scripture is never just a cognitive thing. It's not just talking about your head knowledge. It's not talking about facts. It's talking about fellowship. To know in the Bible is describing a relationship. It's an experience. It's intimacy, not just understanding. I don't know about you, I'm married, I've been married for almost 20 years. When I walk into a room, especially a room with this many people, if I saw my wife, I could literally look at her face and know, are we good? Are things good? Or are they not good? You know, <laughs> that knowing look that comes without words, that, that's the kind of know we're talking about. The eyes of your heart, it's deeper than head knowledge. I want you to have a deep relational experience, that knowing look with Jesus and what's happened for you. Because I know that if you know him like that, his power will begin to flow into your life. It's his power, right? He says that. I want you to know his power and we are his, we belong to him and therefore it's only in relationship with him. It's only in having the spirit and staying in step with that spirit that we actually experience his power in our lives. And the first thing, I think the, it, these two verses are connected, 18 and 19. It's really important. The thing that Paul wants us to know, the spiritual power that he wants to move in our lives is to know something very, very important. What does he want us to know? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That's what I want you to know. The riches, I want, I want you to know, the hope that he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, what is this verse saying? This, if, if it isn't, I've been praying it would spiritually rock your face off this morning, okay? Because it kind of blew me away today. I've studied the Bible a long, long time, and I actually was like, I don't know if I've ever read this right, and I've potentially preached it wrong. What is this verse saying? He's saying, you need new spiritual eyes. You've been given new spiritual power in your life that you might see you are his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Do you see it? I want your, the eyes of your heart to be enlightened that you may know the hope to which he's called you. What's the hope to which he's called you? The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You hear what it's saying? It's not just saying we have a future inheritance. The resurrection does guarantee that, right? That can never perish, spoil, and fade. Kept in heaven for you. 
A time of no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, new heavens, new earth, new glorious bodies. Bring it on, right? Playing for the tie here at this point. It's all erosion. <laughs> that is true. There are plenty of verses in the Bible that talk about our inheritance, but what it is saying here is not just we have a future inheritance, we are His inheritance. You, children, beloved, are the apple of his eye. Like Hebrews said, the joy set before him, he went and endured the cross, but he didn't just stay on the cross. What we celebrated a Good Friday in this room, that wasn't the end of the story. He ascended, rose from the, from the grave, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because his joy was that we would be his forever. I don't want to be in heaven alone. I want to be there with you. You are my inheritance. That's why Deuteronomy, way back in the Old Testament, says that the Lord's portion is his people. And Paul is saying, man, if you could have spiritual eyes, if spiritual power would move in your life, if you could understand that you are loved by him that way, like Huey Lewis saying, right? That's the power of love, right? You know what it feels like to be loved by somebody, right? Oh, my goodness. Paul said, I want you to have spiritually enlightened, powerful, spirit-led eyes so that you can know this love. Because when you know you're loved like that, it releases a specific type of power into your life. And here it is. This is the gospel. You are free now. That's why Easter is like this giant drum saying, you're free, you're set free from living a life trying to secure love from living a life trying to secure your value or obtain it through what you do, from living a life of trying to secure your security and your hope. You have a future. You have attention from the, the one who spoke the world into existence. He's saying, I love you. You were worth this. That love, that value, that security, that future, that attention, that affection that we were created for, the resurrection of Jesus is the giant exclamation point saying, you have it and you have it in him. Wake up. Wake up. Paul's praying, wake him up, wake him up, wake up. You've got spiritual power in him. That's why what we're doing right now on Easter, and it should be every week, that's what we do as the body of Christ. He says his inheritance in his holy people is not just your own personal individual relationship with Jesus. It's us. It's all y'all. The southern form of the Greek verb, right? <laughs> the all y'all in Christ. In his holy people. That's why we gather to worship. That's why we gather in small groups. That's why we get together as guys and gals and talk about the Lord and our need of him. Because we're rehearsing something the gifts and the goodness and the grace of Christ, and we're living that into experience. We're, we're flipping on the light switch and saying, there's power here. I have power because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. And we as a body, we gather and we sing these songs and thank you for leading us in worship in your beautiful instruments. We worship together. Why? Because we're, we're proclaiming, I'm leaving my orphan identity behind. I'm a part of something. I belong to someone. We belong to one another. We are a part of his body. We are his inheritance. So we gather so we can have our hearts renewed, rejoyed in that reality. This is who we know. I know Jesus 
intimately and he knows me. Because if we're in him, we have a spirit. And if we have a spirit, we have everything that comes with the spirit. It's a seal, a deposit, a guarantee. Second Timothy 1 says, you have not been given a spirit of fear, but you have been given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Do you know that? Are you awake to that? Wake up. Wake up. The world is trying to get you to go to sleep to that. And Jesus is saying, wake up. I want to bring power into your life. That's why we can sing with conviction. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. What? No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the what? The power of Christ. Not the knowledge of Christ. The power of Christ I stand. Give them the spirit. Give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open up their eyes that they might understand that they're they're your inheritance, Lord. And what else? I want them to know this. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Do you understand that if you have the Holy Spirit this morning, if you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, you have that power inside of you, right? How many kids could actually recite the fruit of the Spirit? We sing it all the time in kids' town, right? What? Come on, kids. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and self. I know, I want to start shooting things like on the ball field. We were on a baseball field this time last year. Amen. Yeah. You have all of that. It's not the individual fruit. You have the fruit, all of it, of the Spirit. And you understand that is powerful fruit, right? We have powerful love. Why? Because we're His beloved. We have the love that we're looking for. And so as a result, we can love differently and dynamically in the world. That's why Jesus said, people are going to know who you are, that you belong to me, because you have this love that looks different than anywhere else. We have a love that lays down its life and a love that can because it is already first loved. And where love is dead, and trust me, there is a lot of dead love in this world. People that are hard to love, times that are hard to love. It's hard to love, isn't it? We have resources to love differently. Even love our enemies, Scripture says. Do you know you have that power? You've got a powerful love. You've got a powerful joy. A joy that is beyond the walls of this world but breaks into this world that isn't circumstantial, but affects every circumstance that you have. You have a powerful joy. You have a powerful peace. One that transcends knowledge and understanding that looks like craziness to the world. How can you be at peace when things are so chaotic? There's a reason. It's a peace that is a shelter in the storm, not from the storm. It's a rock, it's a refuge. It's a peace that comes from the wisdom of God, and it's not the wisdom of this world or this age. It's a powerful peace that not even death or suffering can undo. In fact, it's a peace that allows you to walk into death and suffering with peace. Because you know that the resurrection says what? This is not the final say. Even death will lead to life. We could keep going through all of the fruit. I'm not going to do that. What I'm saying is, is wake up. Wake up to Christ's resurrection. He has set in motion a power, a new life, a living hope in us as his people. 
and we have the first fruits of it. We have the spirits, the hors d'oeuvres, right? You know, like when you eat Mexican food and you're worried about eating all the chips and salsa so you don't ruin your dinner. You, that happens, right? You can't eat too much of these chips and salsa, right? You're not gonna ruin the future meal by eating too many chips and salsa. Jesus just keeps bringing out the bowls of chips. Jam your face with them, okay? Behold him. He wants to bring power into your life. He's given you power. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, Romans 8 said. He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Right now, your mortal bodies, while we await these new glorious and redeemed bodies in the new heavens and new earth. And T. Wright says this, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is all about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for me. Wake up, Dave. Wake up to the power that's available to you right now because of the Holy Spirit. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart this Easter may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and me, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Do you see how important you are? You're his treasure and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in his heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present, but also in the age to come. Let's worship.